starring Bela Day in... But, Ma, that's my favorite movie! Oh, well, all right. But don't you spend too much time in front of that TV, do you hear me? Yes, Ma. Hello, everybody! Welcome back to another episode of my podcast, But Ma, that's my favorite movie, and I'm your host, Bela Day. Now, if you are a returning listener, thank you so much for coming back. You are a real one, period. If you are a new listener, well, welcome. Thank you so much for tuning in, and you are definitely in for a treat today. Now, before we get into this episode and, you know, get into all the good stuff, I wanted to address something that I didn't do in the previous episode. So in episode 10, But Ma, That's Gone With The Wind, I had mentioned the movie I was going to do in the next episode, which would have been episode 11. I said we were going to do the movie Mean Girls. Now, if you listen to episode 11, you know, I talked about the movie Tank Girl. I didn't address that I had changed what movie I was going to do because when I was doing the episode, I was kind of rushing it and I completely forgot to tell y'all that, hey, yeah, I'm doing a different movie instead. So my bad. But yeah, so I I am going to do Mean Girls, but it's going to be on a different day. And if you know anything about the Mean Girls movie, you should have a good idea of possibly what day I'm going to do it on. Um, But we're definitely just going to save that for another episode. But I wanted to clarify that in this episode, you know, before we got any further. So if you did have any questions about it, you can know what happened there. All right. So today's episode is titled, But Ma, That's My Favorite Kid in a Movie. So it's it's pretty self-explanatory. We're just going to talk about movies that star children. And I'm going to share my, some, you know, of course, some of my favorite movies, just like I do with every other theme episode, movies that uh, I really enjoy that star children. And of course, these are some children that are super ambitious, smart, adventurous, you know, everything you look for in a family friendly movie that's starring a child. And these are movies that I remember when I was younger that I wished I was them. I wish I was doing the things that they were doing because typically in these kind of movies, the kids are pretty independent. And it's funny because sometimes you hardly see the parents in the movie, of course, because the the plot is focused around the kids, but they get to, you know, go on these different adventures and they get to just do everything you wish as a kid you got to do. Because when you're a child, you always wish to be an adult because you think you have all these privileges but with all of the fun and you know independent you know situations that you can be in you know there also comes a lot of responsibility with being able to do all of that and as you get older of course you learn that um because as kids I just remember always You know, when I was 12, I wanted to be 13. And when I was 13, I wanted to be 15. When I was 15, I wanted to be 16. And when I was 16, I wanted to be 18. And, you know, you're always wishing to be older and older because you think you're just going to have, you know, more and more fun. And, you know, you just want that independence to be able to do whatever you want. 
because of course our parents show us the glamour side of being an adult but you know when I, I had parents that I had no idea about you know oh well you know parents when parents complained about oh don't keep all the lights on or you know eating up all the food and stuff you think like what's the big deal but you don't realize there's a grocery bill there's the electricity bill you you know where you're living you got to pay rent you know you got to pay for gas in your car so it's just like all these you you have the freedom but there's a lot of stipulations to go along with it right so i felt this theme was very necessary for this time just because of the fact that kids are going back to school right like it, you know it's felt like a pretty long year so it's like it's felt like a long and short year at the same time but this is the time where kids are going back to school now granted we're in a totally different space and a different time than we normally are because kids are virtually going to school versus you know getting dressed up and meeting the teachers and you know just everything that we're used to life being like it's it's different now i know some schools are some schools are letting kids come in person and then some schools are doing it virtually for only a certain amount of time because let's be real a lot of parents can't afford to not go to work or to have their kids just at home on a zoom meeting people you know most of the time people can't leave their kids at home to do that and to fend for themselves so it's it's a it's very inconvenient for some parents for sure especially if both of the parents are working because not everybody can afford to have a parent to stay at home we got some bills bills are expensive bills is not cheap like i said that's what you learn when you become an adult you know and so even with all that being said, you know, this this is the this is school time, going back to school. I thought this would be a really fun theme for my listeners. And also for me, because of course I picked these episodes that I know I'm gonna have fun actually doing. Alright, so I want to do something a little bit different with you guys, and that is I want to play a trivia game. So I am going to read off some questions and just test your knowledge to see, you know, how knowledgeable you are with movies. All right, let's start with the first question here. So who stars alongside Jennifer Lopez in The Wedding Planner? Do, 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 do. Oh my gosh, I'm trying to get the rhythm of it, guys. Okay. Do, 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 All right. So the answer to that question is Matthew McConaughey. You know how he does his little accent. All right. So the next question in what film do Cher, Michelle Pfeiffer, and Susan Sarandon star as witches? You know what? I actually bought this movie recently because I wanted to watch it. I've always seen the cover of it, but I'd never seen the movie. And I was always super curious because I've seen Cher movies. Well, I've seen all of them in movies. So I was just wondering. I was like, that looks really interesting. And it was okay. I don't know. Maybe I'll do that. I'll do that movie one day. 
in one of the episodes. All right, so the answer is the Witches of Eastwick. All right, the next two questions that I have. What is the name of the fashion magazine that Jenna works for in 13 Going on 30? This is another, this is a movie I'm definitely going to do one day because it's definitely one of my favorites. I enjoy this movie. I can watch it over and over again. Do, 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 The answer is poise. All right, last question. In which film does Zac Efron portray a 17-year-old version of Matthew Perry's character? Do, 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 yeah, that was four questions. So how do you think you did? Did you get one right? Did you get two? Did you get all four? Well, if you got all four, then congratulations. And your prize is, drum roll, you get to hear the rest of the episode. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, guys, let me know what you think of that of playing that trivia game. I know it's kind of, kind of weird when I'm doing it like I'm just talking to the mic or whatever but um I thought maybe that'd be something fun I, I, I like answering things even when um I'm not or I like playing games with people even if I'm not physically there and hey we're doing social distancing anyways so we're just virtually playing this game but you know comment let me know what you think of that if you think that's something that I should implement you know maybe every other episode or something like that all right so we're gonna go ahead and get right into these movies okay so with the first movie lights camera action I worked hard to steal that money. And you went and gave it to some zit-faced little kid? That quote is by the character Carl Quigley in the movie Blank Check. Now, this is a movie I kind of have looked over in the years. This is a movie I've kind of looked over in the years. And it wasn't until I was picking a, a movie until I re- I came across this one. And I go, oh, wow, I forgot about this movie. And I watched it again. And I was like, oh, all the memories came back. I definitely remembered the movie. Okay, so this was released February 11th, 1994. It was released in my birthday month. And it has now reached its 26th anniversary. Can you believe that? 26 years ago, this movie came out. It's crazy that now all of the 90s babies are approaching their 30s. It's kind of freaking me out because I'm getting there. But, um, you know, it's just a thing and it's just life, you know? (laughs) All right. So the writers we have here are Blake Snyder and Kobe Carr. The director is Rupert Wainwright and he directed The Fog as well. Then we have Brian Bonsall. 
I hope I'm saying that right. He plays Preston Waters. He also played in the show Family Ties and in the movie Mikey. Now, I believe he was more of a child actor. I don't think he did consistent work as an adult or maybe as like a preteen. So, yeah. Then we have Karen Duffy who played Shay Stanley. She played in Dumber and Dumber and did a voice on Fantastic Mr. Fox, which I know, I think that, that's one of my sister's favorite movies. And just like hearing that movie again, I definitely want to watch it. I think that's going to be the next movie I want to buy. We have James Rebhorn, who plays Fred Waters, the dad. He played in Independence Day and Scent of a Woman. We have Jane Atkins, who plays Sandra Waters, who she's the mother. She was in Free Willy, The Village. We have Michael... Faustino. He plays Ralph Waters, which is one of the brothers slash sons. He was in the Monster Squad. We have Chris Demetrio, who plays Damien Waters, another brother slash son. He played in the horror movie Dolly Dearest. Now, I think that is one of like those obscure movies. I remember like it coming on cable when I was little and seeing that again makes me want to watch it. And then we have Miguel... Or it makes me want to watch it again. Then we have Miguel Ferrer. Uh, not sure if I'm saying that right. Um, last name F-E-R-R-E. He plays Quigley, which is who said the quote that I did. He was in Traffic in Robocop. Then we have Michael Lernier, who plays uh, Mr. Bitterman. He played in the 1998 version of Godzilla. Then we have Tone Locke, who plays Juice, and I know him from the movie Poetic Justice, and he's done some other movies, of course, but he is known as a rapper. We have Alex Zuckerman, who plays Butch, and we have Alex Morris, who plays Riggs, and he also he also played in Powder, and guess who? We have Rick DeCommon who plays Henry, and he was also in Spaceballs, Groundhog's Day, the first scary movie. And then we have Debbie Allen, who plays Yvonne, and she was in Fame, that came out in 1980. Um, also was a character, a recurring character on, on the show, different, A Different World. Okay, so the movie starts off where we're seeing this prisoner, a.k.a. Quigley, who escapes from prison, and he makes his way back to the place where he had hid his money before he got locked up. Okay, so that's the opening. Then we get introduced to Preston, who is about to get his room taken over by his brothers because they have started a small business, and so now they need some office space. And along with them getting this office space, you know, they're putting in computers and, you know, just everything that they need or whatever. So, of course, Preston is upset by this because now he no longer has a space to himself because he has to share this with his brothers. To make matters worse, he has to go to this birthday party that is for one of his classmates uh, named Butch, who basically teases him, but he's going to his party. And 
he really doesn't want to go because he knows he's not going to have enough money to really do anything. But somehow his parents are still forcing him to go. Now, I do understand the concept of, you know, money management, being responsible with your money. But at the same time, why torture your kid and make them go somewhere if you don't feel like they need enough money to have fun? To at least go on, you know, enough rides while they're there. Because the money that he gets... Like, he, he can only go on the kiddie rides. And most of the time, like, the other rides, I guess they're the more expensive rides. The kids are just having a blast. They're, you know, getting on whatever they want, doing wherever they want. And yet, Preston is hanging back, just basically watching them have fun. And I would I would get it if he was adamant about going and didn't care about not having enough money but the fact that he's like letting his dad know like I really don't want to go because I know y'all ain't got no money and at one point you know after he you know has gotten home from the amusement park he asks ask his parents he goes are we broke and his parents let him know not necessarily we are just paying close attention to our expenses but as a kid you know he's not really understanding what that all means he just sees it as my parents are being frugal and I don't get why because we live in like this nice decent house we live in a decent you know like like a middle class neighborhood maybe upper middle class neighborhood so he's just not understanding it now, in order to make him feel better, his mom gives him one of his birthday cards early, which is from his grandma. Now, everyone knows when you get money from grandma that there's going to be some cash in there. So, as soon as he gets the card, he opens it up. He shakes it to see if there's any money that's going to fall out. And a check falls out. Now, when he looks at the check, he's upset because he's like, it's blank. And so the dad looks at it and he goes, oh, well, she signed it, but, you know, she probably forgot to put an amount. Um, so we can just write that in. And he asks his wife, well, what did she give him last year? And the mom's like, 10 bucks. And then as the dad's writing it down, Preston is like, don't forget inflation. So the dad goes, oh, yeah. We'll make it 11 bucks. And so, you know, Preston, of course, is disappointed because he wants more money than that. Um, but he ends up getting the 11 bucks. So now fast forward, we see Quigley again. And he goes up to this bank that is owned by this man named Edward Bitterman. Okay. Now he goes up to his bank because he actually needs a favor from this man because Bitterman actually testified against Quigley and he's part of the reason why he got sent off to prison. So now he's back. He has this money. He knows this guy who works at this bank. So the money is actually marked. It's like consecutive bills. And so Quigley is basically like, well, you owe me a favor because of what you did to me. So yes, this money is no good. But since you work at a bank, I'm going to need you to replace these bills or basically give me bills that are actually legit. And he goes, well, I'm going to give you 24 hours to do this. And after 24 hours, I'm going to have my dude Juice come over. He's going to pick up the money, give you enough time to, you know, get all that money situated. So on this same day, Preston goes to the bank to 
try to create an account so he can deposit his $11. Because, you know, he's ready to grow up. He's ready to put his money in the bank, you know. Try to be a little responsible as a little kid. He cannot open a bank account because that's not enough money. You have to have more than that. So, once again, disappointed, Preston leaves the bank. But as he's leaving the bank, Butch, who he had went to his birthday party, is riding by him and snatches the check out of his hand. So, then Preston goes on this chase and he's trying to, you know, chase after Butch to get his check back. Now, as he's chasing after him, he ends up, like, spinning out on his bike and he lands behind this car. Now, whose car do you think he landed behind? Quigley's. Quigley had left the bank as well. He was getting into his car. As he's backing out, you know, uh, Preston's laying there with his bike. So, Quigley ends up running over the bike, but luckily he doesn't hurt Preston. Now, Butch ends up coming back to the scene because he sees what happens to Preston. And he's, like, trying to, like, bribe Quigley to say, oh, well, you know, I didn't see anything, but at the right cost, right? And Quigley's like, I'm not even paying attention to this kid because, you know, he's talking to Preston. He's like, you're okay, right? And so then a crowd starts forming. Uh, this one lady even comes over. She's worried about Preston. Like, oh my God, are you okay? So in order for Quigley to not look like the bad guy, he begins to write Preston a check. Now, as he's writing him a check, he real he realizes he sees a police car like pull in towards them. So he's ha he's like, okay, kid, here. Like your dad will know what to do with this. So he had signed the check. He just didn't write anything on there. So... This goes back to earlier. Preston knows when it's when you at least got a signature, you can write in any amount you want. So, of course, this kid is going to totally take advantage of this moment. Like, how many moments will he come across with a blank check with someone's signature on it, right? So, he ends up writing on this check a million dollars. What's the odds? The Quigley had a million dollars. That he hid away. And then Preston wants a million dollars. So he ends up... Because he's really smart with the, the computer that his brothers got. So the the brothers have a computer they can't even use. Right? And and uh, Preston knows how to use it. So he figures it out. He ends up getting, like, typing out where he can copy, you know, the amount of the money on the check. Because he knows his own handwriting is not going to do. So then the next day he goes up to the bank... And he, like, hands the teller the check to say, you know, hey, I want to cash this. And she ends up taking him back to uh, Mr. Bitterman's office to be like, hey, this kid is trying to, you know, cash this check. Now, mind you, Quigley said he was going to have a man named Juice come up there. Well, he didn't say man. He just said a person named Juice is going to come up here. So, B Bitterman thinks that, okay, there's a check with Quigley's signature. It has the $1 million amount. This has to be juice. And then to make it, I guess, less conspicuous, having a kid come and get it. So Bitterman thinks that he's giving the money to juice, okay? The actual juice shows up. When he shows up, he ends up going to the back of Bitterman's office right as Preston is leaving, and he's like, hey, I'm Juice. I need to cash this $1 million, you know, this $1 million check. And then Bitterman realizes he made a terrible mistake. He thought the kid, because it was just, everything was just so smooth. You would have thought, okay, yeah, he he, he got the check with quickly signature. He asked the kid, he goes, 
juice? And the kid's like, not thirsty. And he's like, he says something like, you ran into Quigley? And he goes, he ran into me. So it's like, they're talking about two different things, but it's like, this kid is actually kind of (laughs) smooth. Like, I'm not thirsty because that's my name. Whatever. So the Preston ends up cash getting all this money, making all his dreams come true. He had like a list of things that he wanted to achieve. And one of them was getting a house. There's like this castle next door that's for sale. He ends up going in a bidding war with Quigley. And mind you, Quigley doesn't know this is the kid or that he has his money yet because he's using the computer to talk through the phone with like an adult robotic voice. Um, Then he ends up creating this character named Macintosh who supposedly has all of this money and he's doing basically all his bidding and financial work for him, getting him all these things, you know, riding in limos, you know, taking this girl on a date that ends up turning out to be an FBI agent who's like trying to investigate this legal activity possibly that's going on with this bank. And then she ends up, her target becomes Macintosh, this guy with all this money that no one's ever seen. Um, so yeah, this is a, this is definitely a fun movie, a fun movie to watch, especially with the family. Um, just a little trivia, the amusement park is Six Flags Fiesta, Texas in San Antonio. I thought that was super cool. Super cool that they used an amusement park in Texas. I think it's like the second movie that's done this, maybe more. Um, but yeah, it's cool. And it's basically just, to me, this movie is a good lesson to show the grass isn't green on the other side. When you think things are better than what they could be, you know, you just realize that, you know, not everything is what it seems to be or not everything is cracked up what it is to be. So it's definitely, this movie is definitely a, a good, it has a good lesson to it, a good message. All right, let's get into this second movie here. Lights, camera, action. I'm big, you're small. I'm smart, you're dumb. I'm right, you're wrong. And there is nothing you can do about it. That is a quote from Mr. Warmwood in the movie Matilda. Who remembers Matilda, okay? This movie was released August 2nd, 1996. This movie has approached its 24th anniversary this year, this month, okay? All right, so the writer of this movie, well, firstly, this movie was a book, and it was written by Ruald Dahl, um, but the actual screenwriters are Nicholas Kazan and Robin Sweetcord. And the director is actually Danny DeVito, who actually stars in the movie as well. Uh, Danny DeVito, he he has a big resume, okay? He has a long resume. Uh, but uh, two movies he played in, he was in Twins, Batman Returns, Junior, just in a bunch of stuff, okay? And I didn't even realize originally that he directed this movie, but that was super cool. Um, we have Mara Wilson, who plays Matilda. She was also Mrs. Doubtfire, which I talked about in episode four, the Father's Day episode. And Mrs. Doubtfire, I believe, was her her uh, acting debut. 
that was the first movie she was in and then also was in miracle on 34th street then we have uh Rhea Perlman who plays Mrs. Wormwood. She was in the show Cheers, also in Canadian Bacon. We have M. Beth Davids, uh, who's who played Miss Honey. She was in Bicentennial Man, Robin Williams, Army of Dark Darkness. Uh we have Pam Ferris who plays uh Miss Trunchbull. She played in Death to Smoochie. And then we have uh Paul Rubens, who plays an FBI agent. We know him from Pee-wee's Playhouse. Uh, I know him from the movie Mystery Man, which is another movie I'm going to do uh, later in another episode. And then we have Tracy Walter, who plays the FBI agent as well. And he was in Batman, uh, the original Batman and City Slickers. Okay, so Matilda was not cared about from the start, Okay. And Matilda is the, you know, leading little girl in this movie. And her parents absolutely did not care about her. Because literally when she was born, her parents, instead of loving on her, being excited about her being there, they complained about the hospital bill. They complained about just every little thing that happened to them. Oh, it hurt when she came out. Oh, we got to pay this bill. Oh, you know, woe is me. Like, just just complained about everything. They weren't even happy about having a little girl. But luckily, Matilda is a super smart, talented girl who, at an early age, learned to take care of herself. At two years old, she was dressing herself. She was doing her own hair, even making her own food because her parents would leave her at home alone. So mind you, the parent, the dad, Mr. Wormwood, he would go off to work at a dealership where he was ripping people off, like basically, you know, rigging these cars to work just enough for them to go off the lot. But of course they were no good. And he was um, completely upselling them for way more than what they were worth. And then the mom would just go off to play bingo. And they would just leave their, you know, Matilda at home. Like, really? And this is another reason as to why Mr. Gormwood was, you know, in the on the list of, you know, worst parents, okay? So, all right, where were we? So, yeah, Matilda's doing everything at her on her own. And she's she's very opposite from her family because she does have, her, you know, she has one other sibling. And then, you know, her two parents. And they're only interested in, you know, kind of, they're, they're selfish. They're, uh, they, they, they just want to watch TV. You know, they don't really... They just are very, like, just simple-minded people, and, and they're only out to help themselves. But Matilda is, you know, she cares about other people. She likes talking with other people. She also loves to read, and she starts doing that at an early age. And actually what happens is she figures out how to get to the library, which is 10 blocks from where she lives, and she manages to get get to the library and get back from the library safely. And she she ends up doing it every time her mom leaves to bingo. She ends up going to the library by herself. So I, I again another point to 
to speak to how much her parents did not care about her. They don't even remember her age. At one point, the dad is thinking that she's four years old, and Matilda's trying to tell him, no, dad, I'm six years old. I'm so, And he was like, well, if you were six, then you should be in school by now. And she goes, well, I was supposed to start school in September, and I told you about that, but you said you didn't care. And then she brings up the subject like, you know, I do actually want to go to school. Like, I want to learn. And the dad just still brushes her off because initially he doesn't even believe that she's six. But then when he figures out that she actually is six, he still doesn't care. And once again, Matilda is a super smart girl. And not only is she super smart for her age, but she also has a power. She has telekinesis where she can actually control objects around her and even people uh, somewhat when she first realizes this power um it's in the moment where the dad is basically he's upset and he's trying to tell the family like i run what happens in this house everybody's gonna do what i say and every they're all sitting around watching TV and Matilda wants to read a book. But the dad is like, no, you're not going to read. You're going to watch TV. And as he's making her watch this, you know, kind of goofy television uh, show where it's about this guy who they uh, drench in honey. He was in this glass case that was filled with money and wind where he has to try to catch all this money. And, you know, this is making her cringe. She's not enjoying it at all. And as she continues to look at the TV, the TV ends up, like, exploding. And initially, she doesn't realize that it's her that does it because it's kind of, like, coincidence because she wasn't, she didn't physically do anything to it, so how could she do it? But this was, like, this is the first look into her powers. So then, one, there is a, um, a principal comes up to... Mr. Wormwood's dealership and when as he's talking to this principal you know she lets him know that she works at this elementary school and she says the her motto which is her motto which is use the rod beat the child and you know like the saying is supposed to be uh, spare the rod spoil the child and so she talks about basically how she keeps her kids in line by disciplining them and this interests Mr. Wormwood because he goes, okay, well, he can, you know, I like her. She likes the discipline. She doesn't really like children. So let me send my child to her school. And when she goes to the school, well, initially, Matilda's super excited to go to the school because, one, she doesn't even know what she's getting herself into. But the fact she gets to go to school, she's excited. Now, when they get to the school, the school looks like a prison. It's, like, run down there's no grass it's like all dirt like it, it just looks very ran down and not bright you know and so this still doesn't this doesn't um like deter matilda because she's like i finally have kids that i can interact with and also she'll get to learn which is what she really wants to do now, when we uh, meet this principal again, we see how she interacts with the kids, which is with a very, like, stern hand. And you can tell everybody fears her, like, kids are trying to hide. And all the kids, like, as soon as she comes out, like, they stop talking. And it's just, I mean, it's really bad. And so, and so you know, there's this horrible principal, but 
the good side of it is her actual teacher, her name is Miss Honey. She is very sweet. You can tell she cares about the kids and she loves her job. She loves teaching. She loves children. So then Matilda and Miss Honey, they actually grow a bond and it's at school where Matilda Matilda can truly be herself. And Miss Honey embraces her. And even at one point, she realizes Matilda has powers. That doesn't scare her away. That doesn't make her treat her any differently. That just really makes her connect with her because she knows how special Matilda is. And then just, you know, furthermore in the movie, it's just her, you know, navigating this horrible parents, the horrible principal, but then also getting some sort of you know, solace or protection whenever she is around Miss Honey, who they just get along very well. And this movie is just super cute. I love this movie so much. It was a movie I grew up with. It's a movie like I could still watch today and definitely enjoy it. Now, some standout scenes in this movie. Um, I like when she she has full on realized her powers, right? And she knows how to control them. And so there's a song called uh, Little Bitty Pretty One. Let me see who that's by. Little Bitty Pretty One. You know, you sound so sweet. Um, and this is by Thurston Harris. And then it looks like, well, hold on. I want to say it goes by Thurston Harris. And then Frankie Lyman had, um, he had like did a remake of the song. Correct me if I'm wrong. I'm just kind of looking at it at like just face value here. But yeah, uh, Frankie Lyman may have like uh, revamped it. But anyways, and um, so in this scene, she's making like everything in the house move. They're moving in the directions that she wants them to move. She's like dancing and it's super cute. And there was actually a challenge just last year where a bunch of people where a bunch of just different people were reenacting that scene. So, like, they would go in their house and, of course, they would have someone, like, off-camera and stuff, holding brooms, making a move, turning on and off lights, and then they were just dancing to this, that particular song, right? I wanted to do that challenge, but I never did it, but I thought that was super cute. So, if you did see that last year and you was like, where did they get that from? This is the movie that they got it from, Okay. Uh, there's another scene where Miss Trunchable, she realizes that a cake or a piece of cake that she had had been eaten or munched on. And she thinks it's this one student, right? Like, of course, blame the chubby kid. He ate your cake, right? So she blames this kid eating her cake. And as punishment, she makes him eat like a big slice of cake, right? And so who what kid would not want to eat chocolate cake right so she makes him eat this big slice of cake you know he kind of pushes through i mean it's not too too much but it's enough that okay one slice of that would be good enough but after he finishes that one slice she brings out a whole cake i mean this is probably like oh my gosh multiple layer cake. i mean it's a pretty big cake for one person and she makes him eat all of that and it's funny because at one point all of the kids start like cheering them on and of course miss trunchable doesn't like when kids are working together or enjoying themselves and so it makes her angry but that's a very popular scene in this movie i think if anyone does remember anything from this movie they remember that chocolate cake scene 
Please excuse if you hear this, like, kind of rattling noise in the background. Um, I'm prom I promise you I'm not, like, sitting in my room with, like, a bunch of rattlesnakes or anything. Um, I don't know what those bugs are called, but there's those bugs outside where it makes that sound. And, yeah, I'm like, how convenient, right? Right when I'm recording this, that's when y'all want to make all that noise. But anyway, so, yeah, if you hear them in the background, that's why. All right, moving on. So, uh, another scene that I love in this movie is there's this one little girl and she has these pigtails and she's a new student. So you can tell Miss Trunchbull, she likes to focus or she likes to prey on newer students. So she ends up telling this girl, cause she has pigtails in her hair. She's like, you need to take your pigtails out. Well, she first kind of antagonized her and like, who did your hair? And she's like, my mom and then she's just like well uh, you know take it out and the little girl's like well i like it or she says something to that effect and basically she doesn't like the fact that the little girl is responding to her instead of like doing exactly what she wants her to do so she ends up grabbing the girl by her pigtail swinging her around like throwing her in the air and the little girl is almost about to land like on this spiky fence until matilda actually controls her to fall in this field of flowers instead and so of course everyone you know all the kids get happy because you know she ends up landing safely but of course this upsets Miss Trunchable. And this was an, uh, another part of the movie where Matilda started really starting to realize her power because she willed her to land safely instead of, you know, to be hurt. Okay, the last scene um, I love in this movie was when Matilda, she shows that she can do mental math super fast. Like as soon as you finish saying the numbers, she got the answer. And in the scene, basically the dad is telling the son like, you know, one day you're going to work for me and you know, you're going to have to, you know, do what I do. So, you know, let's start let's start somewhere, you know. Um I'm going to I'm going to give you the amount that I um I'm going to give you the amount that I personally paid for the car. And then I'm going to tell you how much I upsold it for. And then you're going to tell me what profit I end up getting off all these cars. And the son's writing it down. At one point, the son even tells him, like, slow down. Like, you know, I... I can't write it all down like with how fast you're saying but then the dad's like no just do it just write it down and then as soon as he finishes running off the numbers Matilda already has the answer and the dad doesn't believe her he thinks that she looked at the paper she's like how can I see the paper from all the way over here because she was literally like across the table from them I wish I could do mental math that fast but I, I still have to write stuff down I have to physically see stuff to understand it I can't just mentally do it y'all I'm crazy all right, so some trivia here. Um, this was sad. Mara Wilson's mom had breast cancer while she was filming the movie. And then before the movie was released, she actually died. That's super sad because Mara was super young when this movie came out. So the fact that she lost her mo mommy at a young age, I can just, I couldn't imagine the feeling. Um, but definitely my heart goes out to her. Now, contrast to Danny DeVito and Ree Perlman's characters, they became very close to Mara Wilson during production. And according to Wilson, DeVito and Perlman would often let her stay at their home and keep her entertained while her father was working and while her mother was in the hospital receiving cancer treatment. 
So they were super nice to her. I love that. I just, I love the thought that, you know, <laughs> it's funny. We see the movie, we think they're terrible people, but, you know, of course, in real life, they end up just being, you know, absolute sweethearts and embraced and took her in. Danny DeVito and Ree Perlman are married in real life. I hope they're still married. I think they're still married. Uh, then we have Matilda. Well, like I mentioned earlier, Matilda is a book that they based this movie off. And it was published in 1988. Um, in 1990, so this was 88, So only two years after the book was published, they actually turned this into a musical. Um, and it was produced by the Redgrave Theater in Franham in England. And you know what? That is actually all that I got for that movie and for all of the movies for this episode. Now, I hope y'all enjoyed this first edition for this little series that we're going to be doing for the next uh, couple episodes. And you know what? The credits are rolling. The show is over. And y'all know what time it is. Well... It's time that I will see y'all at the next show time.